0: I'm going to try not to tell on myself too much in this in this episode, but I'm pretty sure i will. Uh, we're We're talking about software developers, of which we are each one,
1: yeah. And I love topics like this where um, we're coming at it from very interesting other directions from each other because, of course, you landed in your current job starting with a degree in liberal arts, and mine is from real engineering. <laughs> um and the uh, title of uh, our topic is uh, uh uh software developers are undisciplined hacks.
0: There was a uh, a very excellent thread on Twitter a while back um so far back ago. we used to
1: call them tweet storms. <sighs>
0: What are we going to call those on Mastodon? Nothing. Nobody's there.
1: (laughs) I'm there. It's not happening. It's not a thing.
0: You can find me on Mastodon. I'm I'm Jessica Dennis at mastodon.social, at least until I switch to a smaller instance, which I might if anybody ever invites me to one of the cool ones. I don't expect that to happen. Um, So basically the thread was comparing... um, the way software developers approach their craft, with the way, um, well, the way other industries, specifically, um, I think this is the one I should have opened the link before I started talking, but I didn't. Um, right? Yes, aviation uh, practitioners, which is kind of a funny way of talking about people who are in the business of flying airplanes and making sure they don't crash into one another. Um, so, in in aviation. Uh, it's all about learning from your mistakes and making incremental improvements. And you might want to say, you know, yell at me, (laughs) try to stop me there and say, well, we do that in software too. And it's like, "Eh," to some extent.
1: Yeah. So the, uh, the thesis is a little unclear and, you know, it is, we're basing this off of a tweet storm instead of an article. So it's not, you know, like something that was well written, but uh, it's, He kind of does do some reasoning that could be applied to both um, or is, but sometimes things fail when they're operating correctly. Right. And um, after the airline stuff, there's another anecdote about how um, surgeons didn't want to start using checklists because they were, um, in the (laughs) author's words, too full of themselves. But then accidental deaths fell like, by 30 to 50% citation needed in hospitals right. that adopted them.
0: Yeah, and I want to say that the level of sometimes unearned confidence in surgeons is probably very similar to the level of confidence in especially um sort of higher level or at least developers who think of themselves those who call themselves engineers probably mm-hmm. i would say that the people who have or have bestowed upon themselves the title of software engineer are probably more likely to fall into this trap
1: um, or architect or other stolen name from another discipline that has <laughs> six years behind it that they didn't do
0: yeah i i don't i know very few um programmers other programmers who actually went through a computer science program and i also know having gone through enough of a computer science program myself that there are huge swaths of information that just aren't really or at least weren't um Mm. granted this was (laughs) a really long time ago (laughs) well 15 years which is an eternity in um computer years but i it is it is still my impression that things like ethics (laughs) are not particularly well covered in most computer science programs and it's it's a serious oversight um one of the things that a lot of tech companies fail to take into account is how are people actually going to use this thing and uh and also will people be able to use this thing not just you know As as far as accessibility. Right.
1: Back when the History Channel was good, there was this show called Modern Marvels. And every few dozen episodes or so, I mean, there were like hundreds of episodes. So they would uh, do a special on engineering disasters where (laughs) um, they would go over something that fell down. And, you know, why it happened and what was learned from it. And, you know, the reasons were always interesting because it was always different you know sometimes it was well it would have held up according to spec and spec wasn't followed because of right either um you know some manager said i'm not spending this much or um the construction people just didn't follow it you know or in the case of like the tacoma narrows bridge they didn't account for the fact that it resonated with the exact same frequency that the wind made in that exact uh canyon
0: yeah um And, and so in, in like physical structures engineering, a lot of times what comes out of a big disaster like that is some kind of law. And so far, at least in the United States, that has not happened for any software disaster. I mean, so we have HIPAA and we have FERPA in the healthcare and education industries, but...
1: Yeah. And all those are, are a wall between um, people and insurance premiums. It's not really uh, about anything decent. And like, Um, the uh, degree to which something has to be encrypted or at all isn't even in HIPAA. Like it is a complete bullshit law that says you had to just make your best effort. And really it's more about disclosing leaks.
0: That's true. It's more like try real hard guys and be sure to let us know when, not if (laughs) you've had a massive disclosure of your databases or somebody's laptop gets stolen, which was still a major component of data (laughs) loss. As reported in uh, HIPAA reporting, um, yeah, it's pretty screwed up, and there's nothing like that for like banks or Amazon <laughs> or Apple, which has quite a bit of information about me in particular. I mean, it's collecting my health data, mm. presumably. Um, so the the heart study that I'm a part of does have is bound by HIPAA, um, but only like specifically that. <laughs> There's, there's no rule about, so I guess to some extent it comes down to like personal accountability. Like I don't have to set a passcode on my device. So if somebody steals my device and gains access to my health information because I didn't set one, can you really blame Apple? I'm like, yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, no matter what you do to harden your device with the options Apple gives you if you sign into a single Google thing or just Mm -hmm. don't constantly browse in private mode with a VPN, you know, you just gave Google everything anyway.
0: Oh, true. Um, Google definitely knows everything about me. Amazon knows everything about me. I don't worry as much as maybe I should about that sort of thing. Um, Apple doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny. Apple knows so little about me that they can't even recommend games that I would actually After like all... to me. Yeah, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Um, but there's really uh, so Europe passed uh, its GDPR. GDPR. Not GDPR. GDPR. Okay. You you yeah. did it
1: again. You said something wrong. It sh- shook my confidence in something I was completely sure of.
0: I can I can't I can't I can't remember what order the middle two letters come in. I just it's a huge failing of mine. <laughs> uh,
1: General Data Protection Regulation.
0: Okay, GDPR. I think that's what I said. Anyway, that one. Europe has that. Um which in fact Europe has several uh, more protections than we have when it comes to privacy and tech companies collecting all of the information in the world about you forever. Um, <laughs> it's it's sort of funny. There was this huge concern that a, a ton of, of um, services, I, I want to say places, but they're not really places for the most part, would just stop serving Europe altogether. Um, and that has happened a little bit, but not, uh, turns out Europe's still a pretty big market.
1: Yeah, but there were like entire news organizations like, You know, big names that you would recognize. I can't think of any off the top of my head, so I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus right now. But (laughs) they were names you would know. Yeah,
0: and it's really crappy. I mean, what that's saying is that, no, we want to continue to collect all of your data and or allow our third-party plugins to collect all of your data and give you no means – generally speaking, it's (laughs) third-party plugins – and give you no means of ever – knowing what that data is let alone being able to get rid of it um and that kind of sucks yeah that's
1: so um there's a the facebook defense of uh this which is that oh we're not selling your data we're hoarding it so that um we can just sell ad impressions um but of course the same thing and of course um the uh You know, these newspapers, these American newspapers that stopped working in Europe because they weren't GDPR compliant um, are not um, ad networks in themselves. They do, you know, broker it out. That's why, you know, there's 15 megabytes of JavaScript. (laughs) Um, And that gets me to the uh, use of our word undisciplined in here.
0: Yeah. And so... Granted, I and here I'm going to tell on myself a little bit.
1: You are the bad guy.
0: <laughs> I well first of all, yes. I I write a lot of JavaScript, although I don't work on any of these third-party libraries. I don't contribute to open source because I don't have time for that and my job is not also my hobby. But um yeah, I I definitely I include all kinds of fonts. <laughs> um I include which uh I think we're probably using a third party... I think we're getting them from Google Fonts. (laughs) So Google knows a little bit about where all of our users are coming from just by nature of us including fonts. (laughs) Uh, I definitely have never gone through my JavaScript with an eye to making it smaller. I mean, so we minify. (laughs) <laughs> we bundle and minify our JavaScript, but it's still, it still comes out to, it, it's pretty hefty. And that's really a trend. Uh, that, o- run-
1: that only saves on the data transfer though. It is equally true. hard on your local resources. It doesn't matter that you've trimmed all your variable names to one character once it goes yeah. to the uh, just-in-time compiler.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I develop on a pretty powerful PC. It's a couple years old now, but it was quite high-end at the time. <laughs> And if you have less memory than I do, I I think it's probably okay. I think they give QA lesser respect to machines. Mm-hmm. So if we were actually crashing browsers left and right, we would probably hear about it. I, I, I lean on QA a lot for things that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, they end up doing things that I had never thought of that the users will certainly do. But on the other hand, sometimes, like, I just, stuff just doesn't even occur to me and everything, you know, the, the developer mantra is it works on my machine.
1: <laughs> so um, for my day job, because uh, I take uh, HIPAA and things uh, more seriously than they take themselves, um, I don't use any JavaScript libraries, not even jQuery, because hmm. I can't prove that I know everything it does, Oh Lord no. you know, um, you know without going through the whole megabyte that it is.
0: Yeah, and even when I'm like when I'm tracing code in the in the debugger, like once it gets to jQuery, I just hit F10 until it's back out of jQuery <laughs> again.
1: <laughs> um, and I also um, test on um, significantly older machines. Sometimes I go back to a Powerbook G4. If uh, I can get around um, the, uh, the new LS- uh, SSL stuff. Hmm. And it runs because vanilla JavaScript turns out is pretty fast. Web yeah. pages don't need to take 3 to 15 seconds to load.
0: But it's so much easier to write with jQuery.
1: <sighs>
0: and we also use it
1: for a bunch of AJAX stuff because... Back in my day, you were allowed to have <laughs> one or two AJAX objects. Oh yeah,
0: we have. I mean, dozens.
1: That wouldn't even run in two thousand six.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm sure nothing that I'm doing now would run in two thousand six. Which, granted, is not my goal. Uh, I. It doesn't matter if anybody's computer from two thousand six can use our software. We officially don't support any uh, browsers crappier than Internet Explorer eleven. Um. So so there <laughs> which is kind of um a little bit classist maybe uh because people can't necessarily There, there are very well maybe people out there using 10 year old computers who need to use a computer and can't buy a newer one than that
1: yes which... planned obsolescence is next week uh <laughs> <laughs> maybe if we remember that we said that oh <laughs> no um because um Now that the fall has officially started because I Mm. put a Halloween tie on my cat. (laughs) um, We we have a whole bunch of tech topics because Apple does their stuff in the fall and they're going to cloud a lot of things. And we have a lot of queued up stuff to complain about them from their uh, trillion dollar market cap break that got Mm. pushed for reasons. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But anyway... Um, I'm pretty sure that undisciplined developers, including, you know, a whole bunch of open source libraries that they haven't read, um, might be wasting more energy than Bitcoin. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. Just just think how much your computer has to do to load all that plain text on NYTimes.com, even if you use an ad blocker.
0: Yeah, um, and if you keep Gmail open all the time like I do... uh... Yeah, that's a pretty significant use of resources and and Facebook too. And if you keep both <laughs> both Facebook and Gmail open all the time like I do on some of my personal computers, like yikes. Look at you, check out your memory usage some, sometime. Um and so not only are you are they occupying a lot of memory, but they're they're doing a lot of things um in the background which is sapping your computer's power, which is an inconvenience to you, but also using more electricity. Uh, Computers are getting more, have been getting more efficient. Um, Although those are, the gains are getting smaller and smaller. And uh, with,
1: I mean... All the gains are getting eaten by Electron. Yeah. At
0: least I don't make Electron apps.
1: (laughs) No, you basically do though. (laughs) No. (laughs) Someone could wrap it. So right now I'm using a... uh, the uh, 12-inch MacBook, which uh, came out with 8 gigs of RAM. And it's basically always full because to record this show, I have um, Slack open, Quip open, and Skype open, all of which are hmm. um, browser wrapper apps that are using hundreds of megabytes of RAM each. And right now, let me waste more resources by opening up Activity Monitor. Memory yeah, use, 5.7 gigs. Why? Why? let's see my memory used currently is (laughs) 14.38 gigs um
0: i have 32 gigs of ram in this machine this is an imac pro the uh biggest offender is gmail at a whopping 900 megabytes of memory remember beverage charm remembers when (laughs) when when hard disks, hard drives were measured in terms of megabytes, I think my first hard drive was considerably smaller than the amount of RAM <laughs> that uh, that my uh, Gmail tab is is occupying right now. For some reason, Steam is using three gigs of RAM.
1: Is it even open? Yeah. Okay. Um, but, that's but yeah, Steam, not... Steam is another application that um, is written in a whole bunch of intermediate crap to pretend it's a real application.
0: It's actually the Steam Helper. Oh, oh, Gmail just got up above gig.
1: So the <laughs> original iMac, the Internet Mac, I mean, this is 1998, mm. but still, it had 32 megs of RAM. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Granted, that machine didn't have enough... But still, you know, like, I don't think, like, I'm, I'm just looking, you know, at the uh, the top things in my list here, and they would not run on my um, high spec built to order config of my 2001 iMac, which had um, 256 megs of RAM, which was double the stock 128. Right.
0: Yeah. And my 2001 computer, that would have been the first PC I ever built. Um by myself <laughs> i don't remember how much ram i put in it probably 256
1: it was a perfectly seems... crumulent amount back then
0: yeah it seems like something i would have done and it's it's pretty uh it's pretty telling that the top four things on my list are gmail at just under a gig again followed by safari the program that gmail is actually a part of right <laughs> then i have dropbox paper and quip open uh And those are the top four memory users. Those are all browser-based. And people like me are at fault for that sort of thing because we just add features and functionality and we don't, we aren't, nobody ever makes us clean up after ourselves or even think about like- Now the garbage collector will get it. Yeah, I mean, we kind of trust in the browser to to do its thing. And (laughs) hopefully it'll protect itself against actually like, you know, locking up your whole computer. It doesn't. It's you know, just uh, yeah, it's somewhat sandbox. I don't know. And um, and nobody like has ever asked me about that. <laughs> There's no. Uh, I I haven't seen that being a huge worry, like on on Twitter or I I have I have never seen anybody fretting about about that. Um, I'm sure there are
1: people who do. Please do not (laughs) do not at me. (laughs) But So one thing um, people like to pick on Slack uh, like to pick on Slack as the app that is the worst embodiment of Electron. But um, um, I should have said earlier that Electron is just one of many methods of wrapping a JavaScript application into a quote unquote native application. So basically it's An entire, it literally is an entire duplicate instance of Chrome sitting in your dock with with the Slack icon instead of, you know, it's actually
0: as many instances of Chrome as you have individual Slack instances logged into on your machine. Oh, and it gets worse from there.
1: Um, The real problem with Slack, which is something that no one else is willing to criticize because it's the new hotness right now, is that the problem with Slack is that it is. um, reactive in the general sense, I don't know if it uses, um, you know, a, a specific react framework or not. But the uh, idea behind reactive programming is that literally every UI element, and I mean everyone, it has its own event listener in case something about it changes. So in the case of Slack, that means that the channel strip on the left, each channel has a web socket running and listening all of your dms have a websocket running and listening all of your individual slacks that you are part of like all your you know groups have a higher level um websocket running and it's just you know this idea that oh well there's this great programming paradigm where i can have this button just change if the thing that it represents ever changes and isn't that great i only have to write one line of code for this yay <laughs> and you know Instead, you just have this enormous responder chain for every damn piece of your interface. And, you know, event listeners exist so that you could have something like an asynchronous progress bar, you know, like one...
0: No, you also need, <laughs> you need to, you know, it's always about fetching more and more data and then presenting it in a different way and being cool and spiffy and having neat animations that have to, that have complex calculations <laughs> in the name of user experience.
1: <laughs> this will be cool. That's a better user experience, right? Right. And, you know, it's just mind-boggling to think, you know, The machines that IRC could run on and keep up with a chat room. And Slack is sitting here, you know, using half a gig, Mm -hmm. (laughs) half a gig per Slack that you're in.
0: Or more. Right. Um, (laughs) Because it does creep up. Like, you need to quit. It just expands over time. (laughs) Yeah. Much like my my Gmail uh, tab is doing as I watch it. Because I have not closed activity. So
1: so I have uh, on my desk a, a 64 gigabyte Mac Pro. And the interesting thing about the Xeon Max is that they never go down for ridiculous reasons. Like, unlike a laptop, they don't sort of like fall asleep and not wake up. Um, You know, just because the error correcting RAM is usually like what prevents that. Or I don't know. Xeons are better and they're worth the money if you care about perpetual uptime. But as a result of that, I never quit anything. And Mm. I'll see that I literally only have browsers open. Or browser-based applications and you know i'm above 40 gigs of using
0: it happens that way and it used to be back uh before os 10 when os mac os 9 and subsequent uh mac os's slash systems did not really manage their own memory to quite the extent that uh windows at least tried to <laughs> um you actually had to quit your application sometimes because eventually you'd get to a point where you just couldn't do things anymore.
1: Um, well, so the good thing about the way classic Mac OS managed RAM was that it wasn't sandbox in the sense that things couldn't read each other's things, and that's what caused all the kernel panics all the damn time. But when you um, each application had a um, a minimum and maximum. So when you quit something you were guaranteed to at least get that minimum back. Yeah, that's true. And
0: sometimes you had to manually adjust. <laughs> right. But you but
1: you could also plan.
0: Right. Not that a lot of users ever did, but they could. Right.
1: Uh, I I definitely had my, you know, like, oh, I'm running Photoshop. Here's my list of things I can still do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember when you had to quit everything in order to like burn a CD? Um,
1: no, that was a Windows problem.
0: Oh, fine.
1: Windows was never stable. Classic Mac OS was fine. It really was.
0: I know it wasn't. It used to lock up all the time. They didn't get rid of the reset button on the fronts of Macs until, like, mirrored drive doors, maybe?
1: No, the, well... Until OS X became the primary operating system, really. My iMac only had a power button on the side. Um, that was 2001, and OS X was still 10.0 at the time, which was not usable. Well, it was usable. It was the most stable thing I'd ever used. Um, it just was still missing things, like yeah. the aforementioned CD-Burning.
0: Right. Remember feel, Toast? Remember like... buying CD-Burner apps? <laughs> I mean, we used Nero on... <laughs> well, I used Nero on on Windows. I think it was a little bit less common than some other... Um, I don't know what regular people used. Roxio, I guess?
1: Yeah. Nope, anyway, was, yeah.
0: so back to software developers or undisciplined hacks. Like as a field, we aren't, I mean, we're just, we're pretty undisciplined. We do, we love these giant frameworks that add spiffiness. Like I use a framework at work and its job is to bind data to the UI. It's two-way binding. So like, it can be refreshed from the server, but then the user can change it as well, and then I can send that back to the server. And it's kind of a lot. It's a lot of talking to a server, which, I mean... So applications are data, right? It's information. There's an interface, the UI, to show you that information in some kind of useful way. But the some of the stuff we do... In the name of of spiffiness, like, uh, I don't know. You make some interesting trade-offs, like, instead of loading a list of potentially 5,000, you have a paged thing, but you don't, like, you hide the, the pager so it pages on scroll when it scrolls to a certain mm-hmm. point. Because, <laughs> yeah, because it's neat.
1: We never should have given JavaScript the ability to know the scroll position.
0: So as a developer who <laughs> who only uses JavaScript, I need all of these things. In fact, sometimes I wish I had more things. <laughs> yeah, we're basically destroying the world. And like, so at at the more macro level, you have like the actual human factor of like how to how do users use it. So there's Twitter. Twitter's a trash file, trash pile. I like file that works too. <laughs> it, it was a combination of trash fire and trash pile, <laughs> like came out trash file. Anyway, it's it's a it's a dumpster fire, and so okay, cool. Well, here's this new thing Mastodon. It's this like everybody can have their own instance with whatever moderation they want, and it's all federated. It's like, but wait, it's federated, so
1: there can be a Nazis only instance.
0: In fact, there is, um, oh. and I think. The yeah, mold. there's one there's one that's principally Nazis. And for some reason, like Will Wheaton was on that instance. I don't know why. Um but it's like an it's a it's a principally alt-right Mastodon instance. And there's nothing um so I can block that instance, but so it's a whole thing. <laughs> um There's no way for me to really protect myself. Anything, And you might say, well, I I should just make all of my toots (laughs) Um, friends only or private or whatever and put the onus on me instead of on some kind of system of rules and and general order. And there is no such system. And nobody, some instances are going to be willing to police themselves, but the majority probably are not. And it's kind of a bummer eventually it'll turn into Twitter or it will fail.
1: I'm kind of leaning towards fail.
0: There isn't, I don't, there's nothing like critical mass right now. It's having a little surge um, in the wake of Twitter turning off all the APIs (laughs) that people knew and loved in applications such as TweetBot and uh, Twitterific, that's the other one. So there are just a lot of, of tech bros out there who don't fully think these things through And they have absolute confidence in their abilities (laughs) as programmers, but they have no idea. They don't know what they don't
1: know. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, what we're asking for here, you know, is, you know, some goddamn ethics education, which, of course, runs right up against the, uh, you know, everyone can code initiatives, Hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, literally everyone can code or app camp for girls or. Yeah.
0: And, and that's like, everyone can use a hammer. Right. Which everyone can imply. start.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, right.
0: <laughs> not everyone can build a house.
1: Oh yeah. It's sort of like, um, you know, actually a perfect example for this, um, is, uh, the laws are constructed such a way, a way that you can do any electrical work you want on your house and nobody else is until you're licensed
0: well there's yeah i guess um although there are certain uh instances where the government does get involved like if you want to put an addition on your house you have to get permits and some of the stuff you need to be permitted for is plumbing and electrical so you can't just like build an addition on your house wire it yourself do you know do it anyone can use a screwdriver <laughs> and a staple gun i guess <laughs> or well you you don't you really don't want to secure uh electrical wiring with a staple gun it's it's not really well suited for that they make mm-hmm. special you tack it on and anyway um the government does involve themselves at a certain point you can replace your switches and outlets um because that's sort of a limited danger thing. Uh, I don't think you can replace your own electrical box, like your circuit breaker box, but that might just be
1: a rule from the power company. Uh, well, you know, that, that still works because, you know, the power company is, you know, your hosting company or ISP or whatever. You know, the point is, you know, you can keep your crappy code in your house.
0: Right. But we have this <laughs> wonderful internet with absolutely no uh, barrier to entry, and that's really uh that's one of them classic double-edged swords
1: yes which you explained to me is not all the fun of a dual-bladed lightsaber
0: (laughs) uh yeah
1: well it is it's just that you're holding one of the blades
0: right which is not great like so i on the one hand i don't want it to be the case that people like me coming from a non-traditional background people who had no idea that they could even be interested in this sort of thing until like way further on in life. I don't want those people to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a specific degree program. Um, Although again, this, this could be a community college sort of thing, which so it is kind of funny that like my hairdresser (laughs) has to put in far more formal training and demonstrate competence to a far greater extent than like any Yahoo working at Facebook.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, they have ridiculous interviews, but that's just impressing the interviewer. It's nothing on paper.
0: Yeah, that doesn't at all suss out that person's morals. Right, yeah. <laughs> their their ethical understanding of what they're doing, their sense of whether or not they actually give a crap, whether they just, you know, are in it to stroke their own ego with how clever they are at right. to, at the expense of everything else. Right. Maybe we should have like a... But again, like, how do you police this sort of thing? You really can't right now. It, it, It would be sort of up to the hosting companies who certainly don't want to do it because they're in the business of collecting money from you.
1: Well, simple. If you want to be a corporation, similarly, like, your hairdresser is incorporated at some level, they need to present their credentials to cut hair or, more accurately, to deal with the obnoxious chemicals used in making pink hair. Um, right, But still, um, if you are a corporation and your product is software, whether it's for internal or external use, then your engineers, or developers, yeah. <laughs> um, need to be uh, credentialed in the sense that your hairdressers need to be credentialed.
0: And ideally, the employers would sponsor, <laughs> ideally, yeah. that uh, credentialing process. Not right. that they do in the hairdressing world. Although sure. I think that would also be nice. And I mean, I'm sure there are some salons that do, but by and large that you go to beauty school by yourself um, and get your credentials on your own and then you can get hired at one of these places. Yeah. But so people do manage um, to to go through that process who aren't like super wealthy. So.
1: Right. I th- and I don't think we need to make everyone take the EIT. Although, maybe we should. (laughs) Um, You know, just because, you know, all of the stuff I talked about, you know, all the crappy frameworks that everyone uses because they're all built around the general case and enormous uh, responder chains and megabytes of uncompiled code. um, Uh Uh-huh. You know, to pass the engineering and training exam, which, yes, is the engineering and training exam, um, you know, you need four levels of calculus, ethics, chemistry, physics and but I don't want to take a bunch of
0: calculus and physics and chemistry. We at least take the ethics, yes <laughs> <laughs> I don't so math comes up a lot in programming, but to a certain extent, you can by using convenient libraries. <laughs> ignore most of it and so it's kind of a kind of weird thing like on the one hand in programming there's this whole like don't reinvent the wheel thing if there's a library out there with like a bunch of maintainers like probably all of them are smarter than you individually you probably haven't thought of a bunch of stuff
1: that they collectively have thought of and yeah yeah don't reinvent the wheel but it's like if you have a creaky cart with three wheels and you know. You could go stick a bagel on the fourth wheel and it'll roll down the hill. <laughs> like, you don't need to import a tank or like the biblical Ezekiel's wheels or, you know.
0: <laughs> no, I need the most
1: multipurpose. So, yeah, I don't know what this... I mean, nothing's going to happen, but... Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, what will be interesting is if we do decide to do anything in the realm of 3D printing. Um I haven't made a topic out of this yet, but um, two sides of the uh, free, as in Libre, of 3D -hmm. printing is on one hand, you can make fully functional, um, slightly more untraceable firearms. um, And on the other, you can also 3D print EpiPens and other prosthetic limbs.
0: They've done, I've seen some pretty amazing 3D printed prosthetic limbs. In fact, there's like a whole network of people with 3D printers that will make them for people, which is really cool. But on the other hand, I super don't want them printing their own guns. Not that, you know, anybody really needs to in this
1: country, but should, you know. Well, I mean, to get it onto a plane.
0: True, true.
1: This was was supposed to be a lighter one. I don't know what happened
0: here. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well... So this is one of the problems that we need to cure with socialism. (laughs) It's not a train's problem.
1: It might be. I haven't thought it out, but it might be. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can find a way
0: for trains to come into it somehow.